Hello, it's Tuesday, January the 11th. This is the Andrew Pierce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up. If you're a couch potato, I've got some good news for you. They think, the experts that is, can bottle the health benefits of exercise and turn it into a pill. Where can I get some? Why graduates are often starting work on salaries of £150,000. The energy company that thought one way to save money on your fuel bills is to cuddle your pet cat and dog. No, they weren't joking. I'm talking to the award-winning columnist Sarah Vine about her rage at the latest controversy over the Downing Street party. But first, I'm talking to a spokesman for the Covid Bereaved Families for Justice campaign, who are, quite frankly, outraged that while they conformed to the rules and often didn't see a loved one before they died, at number 10, it appeared, they were partying in the sunshine. Up to 100 people were invited to a, quote, bring your own booze party in the Downing Street Garden during the first lockdown. The Prime Minister has pointedly declined to confirm if he's attended, but witnesses have told various media outlets he was there with his wife, Carrie. The Metropolitan Police says it's in contact with the with Number 10 over, quote, widespread reporting relating to alleged breaches of COVID rules. Just to be clear, the rules were made quite clear at the time. You could socialise outside with just one other person. A uh, hundred people were invited to this event, and it's thought between 30 to 40 attended. Joining me now is Lobby Akinola, who's a spokesman for COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice, whose own father died of COVID in April 2020. Lobby, um, um, we've sp- spoken about this before. This perhaps, if it's proved that the Prime Minister uh, was at this event is perhaps the most clear, egregious breach of the rules because there can be no doubt this was a party because we've seen the email from Martin Reynolds, who was the Prime Minister's principal private secretary, a civil servant, inviting the staff to celebrate their warm weather and to have this party and don't forget to bring your own booze. Yeah, I think it's clearly the most, just, um, like you say, stark clear example that this was not there's no um equivocating or umming and ahhing about what took place here the rules appear to most definitely have been broken and i think um we need to know as soon as possible exactly what happened and the people who were involved and the people who took part in this party i think really need to consider their positions and consider whether or not they have been setting an example for the public during this time. What does it say to people like you, Lobby? You lost your own father during COVID. You lost him in April 2020. This party took place a month later. We were in the thick of the first lockdown rules. Um, Perhaps if you don't, if you can bear to explain what happened to your own father and how much time you were able to spend with him before he died. Um, so I lost my father in April last year. Um, I had planned to go home for my birthday in March, um, but we went into lockdown, so I was unable to go. And because I observed the rules, it, it means I never saw my dad alive again. Um, that's was a sacrifice. He, was, 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 he, was he taken into hospital? He wasn't. He uh, isolated at home um, okay. under advisement from 111, but because I didn't live with him, it meant yeah. that I couldn't go. Couldn't and go and see him. Couldn't go and, and how, see him. And how long, forgive me for 
persisting with this line of questioning. How long was he dying for? How long was he very sick? Um, we, my dad caught COVID, I think, um, around the start of April. So for about three weeks, he was ill. Mm. Um, and he never presented as, I guess, um, being in it like immediate emergency. Um, sure. But he was clearly not very well, um, very clearly not well. And, you know, my family who were at home with him were doing their best to support him. And he was calling 111, trying to ask for the advice of what to do. But it, unfortunately, it resulted in him passing away at home. Um, but because of that, it meant that I could only really have phone calls with him at the start. Mm. And then as he got sicker, he wouldn't even speak on the phone which no. means that i never actually i woke up one day to find out my dad had died and i was never going to see him again and you never got a chance to say goodbye to him and perhaps have those conversations with uh, people we love when we know they are dying so if yeah. i could ask you again lobby um so you stuck by the rules faithfully because um they were the rules that was the law of the land how does it make you feel to know that in number 10 more evidence that the people who made those rules those laws in fact were openly flouting them it's it's really hard to articulate the uh, depth of the scent of pain and betrayal it just pulls everything back um when i saw the email i had to just go and sit by myself for a few minutes and i cried because it, it just put me right back in that moment of not being able to say goodbye to my dad and knowing that whilst that was happening, the people who had asked this sacrifice of me saw themselves as above the rules. It's, it beggars belief that we were all told that we had to work together to come through this pandemic. Meanwhile, it seems that they haven't included themselves in that togetherness. And we've all been asked to suffer and have suffered whilst they were partying. I think the pit that really struck me was, you know, the email talking about having a difficult period at work and everyone wanted to just have a break and have a drink. It's <laughs> to know that that's what it took. That was the reason for them to break the rules mm. compared to the weight of the sacrifice the rest of the country is making yeah the fact that i never get to see my dad again i never got to say goodbye i just can't articulate how angry and how hurt it, it makes me and there'll be thousands if not tens of thousands of people in your position lobby because we know the death toll now is around one hundred and fifty thousand. you talked earlier in this interview you said people in in these positions who broke these rules should consider their position because this is a clear uh, unambiguous breach of the rules if the prime minister did attend that party with his wife uh, bear in mind he has said on at least one occasion there were no parties is his position untenable does he have to go I believe so. I believe so. The Prime Minister met with the Ree families in Downing Street, in the garden, looked them in the eye and said that he did everything he could. Um, if it turns out he went to this party, then I, I, I can't reconcile those two um, events together. I can't understand how you can look at people who have been at the lowest of lows and try to reassure them that you did all you could, knowing that that is not true. And then mm. if he did go to the party to lie about it over you, and over again. Yeah. 
And were you were you with those relatives of the bereaved uh, lobby in the Downing Street Garden when the Prime Minister said that? Yes, yes, I was there. And 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 and, and, and you presumably were struck by his sincerity. Yeah, there was a sense of compassion that you know that we felt like the Prime Minister had finally taken the time to hear our stories, and he genuinely felt um, some sense of like compassion and sympathy for us. But I'm sure, and, if, I'm, and I'm sure, I'm sure he did lobby, and I'm sh- and I know he's worked as hard as he can to mm-hmm. to to kill up to to kill this wretched variant. But uh, if the Prime Minister breaks his own rules which he implied to people like you and those other relatives he met in the garden what does that say to you it says that you know he sees us as separate and he sees us as that um almost that he's above the rules above the law him and his like i guess his people the rules don't apply to them and that they don't have to sacrifice for to make sure that everyone is safe i think it just very much puts that distance between us which was the opposite of the point of that meeting was supposed to be a coming together to try and address the pandemic and i think it's very difficult um to be in that position of leadership and not set not only not set an example set the opposite example break the rules that you have set for other people because understandably people would then immediately ask why should i why should I follow these rules if the yeah. person who set them isn't going to? All right, Lobby. Well, look, once again, please accept our condolences for the loss of your father. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us. I know this can't be easy for you. That's um, Lobby Akinola, who's a spokesman for COVID-19 Bereaved Families for Justice, who are, of course, leading the calls for that public inquiry, which will start, of course, later this year. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pierce Show for free in full along with our other podcasts and video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. Daily Mail columnist Sarah Vine has written an incredibly powerful piece in today's mail about her absolute rage at the latest party gate allegations, lockdown busting parties in Downing Street, which it appears the Prime Minister's wife attended. She joins me now. Sarah, I love the first sentence. Rage doesn't even begin to cover how I feel when I realise while our rights are being stripped away, people losing their jobs and their sanity. Number 10, cosy little get-togethers to make the most of the lovely weather. How nice for them. I know, it's just so stupid, isn't it? It's just so stupid and unnecessary. The thing is, if you are going to go against the fundamental tenets of conservative thinking and take away people's rights and liberties, you absolutely cannot and must not make any exceptions for yourself. You have to be totally unimpeachable. And this is where it's gone wrong. The... um the you made the point you spent a lot of lockdown listening to matt hancock the health mm. secretary bellowing down the phone to michael gove your ex-husband uh explaining why if the government didn't lock everybody up there'd be bodies piling up in the streets because they brought mm. in some of the most draconian laws in europe exactly exactly and and you know it made you know if those if those laws are necessary that's fine but the trouble is you know if you don't, if you don't uphold them, you know, you, lawmakers can't be lawbreakers. It's a terrible cliche, I know, but it's true, and that's why I think people are so upset about this, and they're right to be upset about this because it's well, quite aside from all the sort of personal stuff about people not being able to see their relatives and endless, endless stories that we we heard all throughout lockdown about this. It's just, it's just, it it goes to the heart of what 
the Tories absolutely never want to be thought of, which is sort of arrogant, uh, entitled, it's one rule for us and another rule for the other. That's the problem. That is the problem. It's, 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 it's just, it, it undermines trust completely, I think. That's the problem. Yeah. And of course, the Prime Minister um, was challenged about this in his constituency yesterday and he parried it away behind hiding behind the yeah. ongoing inquiry by Dame Sue Gray, who is a redoubtable and uh, yeah. and she's a scrupulous civil servant. She'll do a very good job. But that's unsustainable, yeah. Sarah, isn't it? Doesn't he have to just say sorry now? It's clearly there was yeah. a party, even though he told us there were no parties. He has to apologise before there's any more political damage inflicted on this government. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, I have more sympathy than most probably for the sort of circumstances that they all found themselves in, and I understand that it was really hard, and I completely understand that they, you know, might have wanted to, you know, let off some steam or whatever. But yeah. you just can't. You just have to always just be. You have to lead by example, and I and I and I. My worry is that, um, you know, my worry is that the damage is going to extend into the next election. I'm, my worry is that, you know, what's so frustrating about this is that they did so much good work, you know, the vaccine program and everything. It was all, you know, they worked really hard to make that work. And it's sort of, it's in danger now of all being eclipsed by this sort of idiocy, uh, which is totally unnecessary. And you know, it's a real act of self-harm isn't it it's a self-inflicted wound and the whole thing just feels very shakespearean i mean there's a whole uh, this all stems back to the to the prime minister's inability to deal with dominic cummings you know and he's now turned into this kind of you know thorn in his side and and you know he's not going to stop with this stuff and and there does come a point i think where you know the party has to think about its own survival really um, and whether or not, you know, this is sustainable. I don't know. I mean, it just, it just, it just is very, very hard to see what the next steps would be. And I just don't think it's okay to brush it away. I think, I think that you do have to acknowledge that you've made a colossal error and apologize. I think that's, I, I, I sort of feel that's the only way forward. And, and, on, and you know, just you're going on to salvage that, anything yeah. from the situation. Yeah. And of course, everyone understands they were in a hot house. They were working incredibly long hours, mm. Sarah. But but so were nurses, so were doctors, and so were care workers. Mm. And they scrupulously mm. perf- uh, stayed you know, and within so the rules. We at the paper, you know, we had yeah. to get a paper out against you know, yeah. against you know working from home, and it's quite difficult to produce a newspaper when you're not in the office. And everybody yeah. tried very hard, and and was, was scrupulous about respecting the rules. You know, mm. and 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 lots of people. It's, it's not just the emotional stuff, it's the, it's the financial things, the way people lost their businesses and couldn't, you know, couldn't open their shops, couldn't run their businesses, you know, all of this kind of stuff. It's, it's not okay to impose one of the toughest lockdowns in the world and then have a party. It's just not. And it, I, you know, I'm a conservative and so are you. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I, I think, you know, I believe in the conservative party, but, but it's just, so hard to justify it. You, you've got to accept when you've made a catastrophic error, and I think this is a catastrophic error. Yeah, I'm with you completely. Um, Sarah Vine, who's writing her column as we speak, so there may be more about this in the morning, and I'm writing about Mr Dominic Cummings, the uh, former <laughs> chief advisor, who you and I both know, Sarah, has a hand in all of this. Um, so oh, yeah. onwards. That's Sarah Vine, our award-winning Daily Mail columnist. Great to talk to you. 
visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to our podcast, videos, opinion pieces and much more. Get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So Ovo Energy has quite rightly sparked outrage with its list of energy saving tips for customers, which include people should cuddle their dogs and cats to keep warm as energy bills spiral higher. The email also suggests people could keep warm by performing start jumps, eating porridge and, get this, holding hula hoop competitions. I don't think I've had a hula hoop for 50 years, so I can't do that one. The company has since apologised. Fraser Scott is Chief Executive of Energy Action Scotland and joins me now. What were they thinking of? Well, Andrew, to, to say that, more, I'm more than a little surprised and incredibly disappointed. I'm pleased that they have apologised, but it's an incredibly desperate time that many, many people find themselves in right mm. now. In Scotland, we have the highest rates of fuel poverty anywhere in the UK. Over one in four households pre-pandemic were struggling with their energy costs significantly higher than it is elsewhere in the UK. Now, that's likely to increase over the coming months. We'll see something like 700,000 households in Scotland. That's like about 30% of all households in Scotland would be in fuel poverty, seriously struggling with their energy bills. It's not a time for tips and advice of the nature that OVO put out, without a doubt. And, of course, there's some controversy, is, is there not, Fraser, that energy companies like Ovo buy up stuff on markets long-term. They would have bought a lot of their uh, energy a year ago. So they're making a very considerable profit at the moment because the, they're, they're charging the current prices on the market uh, and, mar- and prices we know have soared by record amounts. You're right. Um, prices have soared as the basic commodity that lies behind it, gas, has increased it dramatically, which is not just adding to people's gas bills, but it also adds to their electricity bills because much of the electricity in the UK is generated at gas-fired power stations. I think that the complexity of our energy market does not help us, and it certainly doesn't work in favour of low-income, vulnerable households and consumers generally. But I think what's quite clear at this time is that Energy suppliers like SSE OVO are finding it very difficult. They've absorbed um, customers from failed energy companies. We've seen 27 energy suppliers fail over the last yeah, 12 yeah. months. Uh, and the bigger companies like OVO SSE, you're right, they, they buy ahead. Prudently, they buy ahead for the customer base that they have. But what I know they're struggling with is that the energy price cap puts a break on how much they can charge as some of the other prices kick in. Not all their customers would have been on um, fixed-term deals, for example, yeah. where you buy that energy. A lot of their customers will simply have been on the standard variable rate, and many, many more, as time has passed over the last few months, will have moved there. And it's a very difficult time for those energy suppliers um, to, to turn a profit. And uh, Now, I'm not so concerned about the profits that they turn. I'm concerned about the vulnerable people that they service and ensure that those people's energy bills are affordable. And for me, that's the absolute disgrace of the time we're in. They are simply unaffordable. Uh, and we know um, on, a, on a broader level, Fraser, the uh, government, it, we know by February the 7th, will have worked out, we've told some form of strategy, because that's when the cap 
will be reviewed again and we know it's going to be lifted and for some prices some people could face bills going up four or five hundred pounds a year what are you hoping the government will do or what are you telling the government they should do to try to limit some of the impact of these soaring costs which admittedly are out of the government's control but um particularly out of control of um your the customers you've been talking about in scotland in particular well absolutely i think that uk government action is long overdue i mean this is not a surprise um, no. many organizations including our own have been warning for some time that the impact of these rising energy costs what that was going to have for households and we didn't think this was a short-term thing we think this is going to be here for a while and UK government has failed to act in the past. So what we're really calling for is for a proper and strategic approach to be taken. Swift action, decisive. For me, I'm, I'm puzzled by VAT on domestic energy bills. I don't understand really why it's viewed as a luxury good, when in fact it's one of life's essentials to provide warmth in your home, have hot water, it, for me, it sits alongside essential items like essential food items, which are zero rated for um, VAT. And I think domestic energy should be. So it's a point of principle for me. But alongside that, there's a large proportion of our electricity costs in particular, which are made up of government policy type costs. And for me, some of those older, uh, if you like, legacy costs to do with renewables, particularly, should be removed to help mitigate to some extent. It's not going to go the whole way. It simply cannot go the whole way, but it will mitigate to some extent the incredible price rises that we are seeing because of the increase in the price of gas. Very interesting. That's Fraser Scott, who's Chief Executive of Energy Action Scotland. Thanks for joining us. Time for our regular city update now with Ruth Sunderland, who's, of course, our very fine business editor here at the Daily Mail. Now, this is uh, this made my uh, eyes go out on stalks, Ruth. Mm-hmm. Blimey, £150,000 starting salaries for new graduates because we've still got these staff shortages. Tell me more. Yeah, that's right, Andrew. And doesn't it make you wonder where you went wrong in life? It certainly, certainly does. Me- made me ponder that. So um, Robert Walters, which is, as you know, a recruitment company, one of the leading recruitment companies, has said today that um, it's placing graduate lawyers on starting salaries of £150,000 a year, which is quite phenomenal for somebody just newly out of university and with zero experience, basically, apart from a bit of, you know, a few holiday jobs and so on. Now, obviously, this isn't every single firm in Britain that you're talking about here. You are discussing the top legal firms in London. So there's there's always um, big competition for talent and and they would always have been paying a decent salary but even so that's that's still a lot and the chief financial officer there is saying that in lots of industries you've got a lot of turnover you've got staff shortages and you've got people getting a minimum pay rise when they move job of 15 percent one five and lots of people increasing their salaries by 50 percent five zero so that's quite an astonishing situation really if if what if what they are seeing this recruitment agency is seeing is typical um this is quite astounding because it points to a complete reversal of the normal balance of power between employee and employer i have to say 
I'm not sure we're seeing it in our industry particularly, are we? Uh, but, no. Um, so I don't think it's universal. No, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, even so, it's, um, it, it is quite stunning. And, and by the way, these are not the only people saying it. So just before Christmas, I spoke to James Reed, who... Oh, yeah, I know him. Yeah, yeah. Recruitment. yeah. You, you know James Reed. I do. He's got a very good insight, obviously, as you'd expect, to the jobs market. He was saying to me that... This is, this is the best period he's ever known for people to be changing their job because there's so much competition for talent um, among employers. Again, I'm not sure we're really seeing that. I'm, I'm not sure I feel in, in hot demand, but, um, but you know. Oh, this, you this, are, this Ruth. Oh, you are. Oh, you are. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. <laughs> definitely, definitely. You'd be snapped up, but not that we'd let you go anywhere, Ruth. <laughs> Oh, you're too kind. But but this is but but this is very interesting because it is a reversal of the usual situation, which we're all a bit more familiar with, where it's employers who have who have got the whip hand. Um, I think across different industries, if you're in a sector like retail or airlines, um, probably the situation's not quite so rosy immediately. But these sectors have become. Um, a bit of a happy hunting ground for for others. So online retailers or digital, or um, you know, if people if you're prepared to move slightly into a different type of industry, um, it could be a good time if you want to change your job to change it. Now, I think one of the reasons this is all happening is that we did expect in the pandemic that there would be a lot more unemployment, and that hasn't happened. Um, what's happened instead is 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 a phenomenon called the Great Resignation or the Big Quit, as, as we've called it here in, in the UK, where people have felt able to leave their jobs if they're not happy or if they're not being offered working from home. And this is this is partly because a lot of people have built up a lot of savings over, over the pandemic. So they've got um, a bit of a cushion to tide them over until they find what, what they do want. So really, employers are in lots of areas absolutely struggling to hang on to to good staff and and it's going to be fascinating how this plays out certainly is ruth uh, and you'll be there to tell us exactly how it does play out that's ruth sunderland who is business editor at the daily mail thanks for joining us so it's good news for you couch potatoes out there scientists are close to bottling the health benefits of exercise and turning it into a pill so could we really one day do a fitness regime from the comfort of the sofa. Joining me to talk about it is the Daily Mail health writer, Fiona McRae. Fiona, what I want to know is, if this is close to happening, where can I buy the pills? Oh, I think that's what we all want to know. Um, I think you might, it's maybe a little bit early to cancel your gym membership. Right. Um, You're still going to have to keep an eye on your diet, I'm afraid. Okay. But this is research published in the United States, I think, which shows... Uh, giving mice injections of blood from mice that did lots of exercise made the ones that were couch potato mice much more mentally sharp. Yeah, and it was quite incredible actually. So you get these two groups of mice. You get one that run run to their heart's content in their cages all evening for a month and another group that are just lounging around. Um, you give injections of blood from one to another and the second group, the couch potato group, they're, they're smarter and in particular their memory is, has improved, which has excited the researchers because they think, ooh, could this lead to new treatments for dementia perhaps? What be, and that's because, um, it, it, because it's stimulating the brain? 
Yeah, so what they did was when they did a bit more research, they found a protein called clusterin in the blood blood of the exercising animals. And they think this is sort of dampening down inflammation in the brain. And that's important because brain inflammation is linked to Alzheimer's. Right. And in some of these memory tests, including finding the way out of a maze, the mice did better after being given blood from the other mice that had run regularly on a wheel for the past month. Yeah, they did. So um, I'd say all it took, but it was there was something in that blood that was giving their brains and their memory a boost. Right, and clustering. Why do they? Where do they get the names from, Fiona? Where, where is is that a, a property that we've always been aware of? Is it a name they've given to this study? Um, this, so I think this, this compound was was well known, but okay. um, so I, I, these guys didn't name it. It was named somewhere right. down the line. But this this particular um, benefit wasn't known, as my understanding, until now. Now, um, it, so clustering we can see, and certainly in this experiment, is giving a mice mice a boost. Can we assume from that it might give human brains a boost too? Well, that's the hope. That's the hope. And they've certainly found that people also make more clustering when they exercise. Um, and it wouldn't, wouldn't it be brilliant if it also gave human brains a boost? Well, mine certainly needs one. <laughs> mine maybe too. I need to do, may, maybe I need to do more exercise. Um, and um, the, the other thing is, in your same piece, Fiona, which I found fascinating, scientists in Boston have identified a hormone called irisin which is released from muscles during exercise which could help us with the weight loss so we can help mm. the brain and also with weight loss how does that how does that work this was also an experiment with fat mice was it yeah so, so this one they were sort of looking to see um what, what the what exercise why exercise seems to help with weight loss and there's probably all sorts of things going on but one thing, one of the things they found is it seems to, certainly in mice, it seems to change the fat composition and make it easier for the body to produce um, brown fat, which is the type of fat that's actually good fat because it burns right. off energy. If any of this is to come good mm. for us, Fiona, are we years and years yeah. away? Well, um, on the downside, I first started writing about this kind of research in 2008. <laughs> right. That's a, that is a side, bit of a downside. On the bright yeah. side, let's let's end on, on a bright, bright side, note. Yeah, on, on ending a bright note, the Stanford researchers are looking for a drug that would do what clostrin does, and they say they could be testing at people in seven years, which maybe isn't that far away after all. Seven year itch, I think it sounds great. That's um Daily Mail Health writer Fiona McRae has written this fascinating piece in the pages today. Fiona, lovely to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. Good night.